first of all, I believe strongly that the Lord has a will for each of us individually. He created us for His glory. He never does anything purposelessly. He values us. He values us so deeply that He sent His Son to redeem us at such a cost. And so in that valuing, He also has a purpose for why He created us. And He wants us to know His will. And I think that should make all of us happy. Do you have any advice for our audience? One thing that you want to leave with them? Stay in the Word. I think the Word of God is the most precious thing we have. Welcome to the Patterns of Truth podcast, the place for casual discussion of biblical principles and difficult questions that face the Christian believer. We believe that the Bible can speak to today's issues, giving us the wisdom and the courage we need for our lives. We are so glad that you are joining us, and you can always find us at patternsoftruth.org. Welcome. Thanks for joining us again at Patterns of Truth podcast. I'm Peter, your host for today. As always, we want to take a second look at what we think we know about Christian life and see what the Bible actually says. The point is to better navigate and find a pattern for the reason why we live our lives before God. So I'm uh, so excited for you to hear this episode because we have a very special guest and a recent friend for me. I'm very excited for you to meet her and know her personally. Uh, I'd say she and her husband, both of them, are a huge encouragement and influence in my life. And I'm sure many others, if you knew them, with all the suspense. Uh, her name is Peggy Sawiris, also known as Aunt Peg. I will let her to introduce herself right now. But before she introduces herself, I will just say that she is, uh, has a very exciting life, uh, very adventurous. And uh, you have to be careful because if you start talking to her, uh, the Lord will always convict you. And if she starts praying about something, the Lord answers. Um, so, Ampeg, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. And I'm a bit embarrassed by your warm introduction, but I'm glad we're friends now. Of course. And, you know, I usually I'm nervous about what I'm going to say to make sure that the discussion keeps flowing. But with you, I'm not worried. Good. Because I know we're going to talk. <laughs> Peter and I drove to Missions in Focus together, so we got to know each other fairly well. So we welcome you to our conversation. That's right. When you drive with someone for eight hours, you definitely know them well. And it was a very short trip for us because we kept talking the whole time. All right. And Peg, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from and how did you become saved? I was born in Wisconsin, the middle child of five, and we were always raised to use integrity and upright moral values. My parents took us to a Sunday school, but we never heard a personal gospel. 
We knew that Christ had died on the cross for sin, but we didn't know it was for our sin, for my sin. We had many things we had to learn in Sunday school, like the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes. But I remember even saying to a Sunday school teacher that the Lord Jesus had raised a man from the dead, and I couldn't remember his name, but it started with L. And her answer was, I don't think even the Lord Jesus could do that. So you see, it was a rather uh, poverty-stricken spiritual life. And when I was in, well, I was 13 years old, I became convicted of my sin because I was lying. And I knew that was a sin. And I knew that the Bible said all liars are cast into hell because I read that. So I began to search a way to have this sin forgiven or removed. And I asked different ministers from our church, and no one could give me a good answer. But my brother took me to a Bible study run by a man who had known the Lord for many, many years and remembered the Lord in the meetings that we're associated with. And this brother led my brother to the Lord, and then my brother wanted us to know the Lord. And so I went to this Bible study two or three times, and then one night I remember standing up in the middle of the Bible study and saying, do you mean to tell me I can know my sins are forgiven? And I'm so thankful that man didn't say, shh, sisters don't talk in meeting. He said, yes, you can know. And he invited me to sit beside him, and he explained. And then probably about three in the morning, I gave my life to the Lord Jesus. Mm, wonderful. That's a beautiful story. And how someone with simple words, the Lord used him to save a young, young girl. How old were you? I was 17. 17. I had worked for mm. four years. So my heart was right to learn the right answer. Wonderful. And the Lord uses us uh, if we have lots of talents, or if we uh, don't think we have lots of talents. Well, Aunt Peg, I'm going to have to start for with the big question <laughs> uh, right away. So one of the things that you are well known for is that you worked in Africa, specifically in the country of Congo. I'm sure as much as I am, everybody else is uh, curious and excited. Could you tell us a little bit more about how the Lord let you for a major change in your life, right? It was a major change uh, where you decided to leave your country, your family. And as far as I know, you were a single lady. You were not married. Um, and uh, traveled to Congo. How did this happen? Well, I worked for a company that offered me the opportunity to learn computer programming. And I advanced quite quickly and did well but it was stressful and long, long hours. I mean, long, like almost a hundred a week. And then a brother named Lee Basler and parents of those listening to us would know that name. Brother Lee was a very, very well-known brother, much used of the Lord. And he was sent, at that time it was called Zaire. He was sent to Zaire to help with a problem there. And he returned to our little Sunday school and showed slides of the work. 
And there in the slides were two consecutive slides with children in a clearing waiting for their turn to have a reading test. And Lee told us that there were 26 primary school classes that our mission was responsible for, that the government in their curriculum, in the government curriculum, had two hours per week, and they were graded and counted for either morals and ethics or for religion. But of all the 26 teachers, only two were believers in the Lord Jesus. So I began to pray that the Lord would send someone with a heart to bring the Bible to this wide open door. And slowly, over the course of a few months, the Lord convicted me that if I was really that interested, I had better go. And then I had as many reasons not to go as Heinz has little pickles. I'm afraid of snakes. I hate the hot, humid weather. I don't do well in it. When I was a child, I had rheumatic fever, and I have trouble when it's hot and humid just physically. I'm afraid. I'm too young. All kinds of things. And I don't remember every answer, but I do know that every time I brought a requirement to the Lord, or I mean a, not a requirement, I'm sorry, a reason, an objection, an objection to the Lord. He answered soon, sometimes the very day, sometimes within a week or two, with something I was reading in my regular daily reading. And I do remember the one for being young. People will say, oh, he told you about Moses. Nope, I didn't even know this guy existed because I was still a new Christian. But there's a prophet named Jeremiah. And he objected to serving the Lord. And right in the book of Jeremiah, you will read, the Lord said, say not, I am a child. Now about snakes, I got a letter from a friend that knew I was praying about it. And he sent me a verse, I think it's in Proverbs. And it says, he's able to keep your foot from being taken. So one by one, my objections went down. And by the time I knew that for certain the Lord was sending me and not someone else, I was so convicted that the Lord wanted me to go to Zaire that in my naivety, I actually thought he would not return until I had my feet on Zaire soil. Mm. Very strong convictions. But it took at least close on a year, not quite a year. And then I wrote a letter to Brother Percy Pickering, who was full-time in the Lord's work at the time. And he gave me a few things that I needed to do. Learn French, take a course for keeping your health good in the tropics, mm. and become a little bit known among the assemblies in America because you have to be commended to the work. So that was also about a year. Then I was ready, but I went, the Barnes family, I think most people have heard of them. They were there, and Ernie had come, well, the whole family had come home on furlough, and Ernie wasn't well. So then I had to wait until Ernie was well enough to return. So when I finally went, I was 26. 
So from the time you thought about it until you went, how many years was it? Three. Three years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not always the Lord answers or guides us instantaneously. Sometimes we have to be patient. And often there are lessons to learn. Mm, Before we go. Yeah. So on this topic, what is your advice for your audience about knowing the Lord's will? If it's where to go to school, accepting a job offer, getting married, or how to serve the Lord. Do you have a piece of advice based on your experience? Thank you, because I do, but I don't want anyone to think I'm teaching this as real doctrine, because I think I might have it out of context. Absolutely. But first of all, I believe strongly that the Lord has a will for each of us individually. He created us for his glory. He never does anything purposelessly. He values us. He values us so deeply that he sent his son to redeem us at such a cost. And so in that valuing, he also has a purpose for why he created us. And he wants us to know his will. And I think that should make all of us happy. You know, I get asked a question similar to this quite often, and young people struggle to, as though it's like a magic formula. Somehow you're going to know the Lord's will. Right. And this is the verse that helped me. It said, if any man wills to do my will, he shall know of the teaching. So if I want, if I will, if I really want, to know what God's will is, God will show me. Mm. He wants me to know that will. Sure. But of course, the flip side of the coin is he wants me to obey it. So we have to be sincere in our prayers and in our communion with the Lord to ask him for his will. And at least be in our hearts ready to obey, even if, as I did, even if we have objections, he will work with us. He loves us. We're his children. Mm -hmm. A father doesn't tell a 15-year-old child to do the same job that he would tell a four-year-old child to do. And yet, when he tells his children to do something, he expects them to do it because he loves them and they love him. At least that's the way it's supposed to work. So my advice would be, be sincere in your request that you really, truly want to know, and then keep your ears and your eyes wide open. My own firm belief is that his main method of teaching us is in his word. So if you want to know his will, you must commit yourself to reading his word. Mm. That's my opinion. It's my experience as well. It's not an unfounded opinion. Mm -hmm. And I I would just add something else you mentioned is we need to pray to obey his will. Because as you mentioned, sometimes we know the will, but the difficult part is obeying it. Yes. And another thing is that his will in one situation might be different from a will in another situation. 
And for sure, there's an example of that in the life of David when he was attacking and the Lord told him one one day, he told him how to respond and how to lead his men. And then he's confronted with another situation and he asks God what he should do. And God said, no, 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 don't do it that way. That one worked for the last time. But this time you wait until you hear the sound in the mulberry trees. Now, if I were Brother Eugene, I'd know where that is. But <laughs> I do know that the Lord can lead different ways in situations that are very similar. Yeah, that's very encouraging, Ampeg. I want to go back to your uh, work in Congo. How long did you stay in Congo? 18 years. 18 years. Well, um, I, I can imagine uh, many of our audience are interested to know what you did there. Where did you stay? I mean, was it in the jungle or in a city? No, we lived in a small village. Village. A village in the tropical rainforest in the northeast corner of Zaire, Congo. Mm. If you bisect Africa on the equator, you will come within very close distance of where we lived. Uh, the Barnes were with me when I first went, and he had an active ministry. Brother Barnes was immensely gifted in the gospel. If he met somebody within two minutes, he was talking about the gospel. <laughs> very, very gifted. So my exercise to go was because of these classes, and I wasn't qualified to teach in their schools. So because it was a religious class, I was allowed to teach that class. And where the schools in other villages where we had assemblies, we had also schools starting. So we would drive to those schools and have after school Bible lessons for the children. Huh. And we would count that as part of the school, but it was at the end of the school day. And I must say, many children came to know the Lord. We were richly blessed. At the beginning, it didn't seem like a blessing, but we were close to a town of about, I don't know, 80,000 people that was largely Muslim. Mm. Mombasa Zaire got its name because the Arab slave traders came from Mombasa, Kenya, inland to get their slaves and at Mombasa Zaire they turned around and went back because the forest became less and less penetrable and so there were many Muslims where we lived and we gradually built up confidence with the elders and the chiefs there mm -hmm. and we were allowed to bring the bible lessons to their children one elder actually said in a meeting we had our opportunity to choose our religion, let our children have their choice too. And through Ernie and also Brother Sean Lacan, the main chief of all the Muslim tribes, that would be probably close to 200,000 people who came to know the Lord Jesus as mm. his Savior. Wow. Yeah. One day I went, we bought our, our palm oil from him and, and I took the ladies to buy it. And he was talking about, was it really true that the Lord was coming back? And I got so excited and so happy. And he started to weep. Oh. And I was embarrassed. And I thought, what do you do when a grown man, a chief, begins to weep? And I said, oh, dear Chief Tito, what's wrong? He said, I and a few of my children will go to heaven. 
but none of my wives and most of my children have learned yet the Lord Jesus, and I don't want him to come back yet. I found that very touchy. Hmm. That is a neat, neat story. The Lord uses, um, has a testimony everywhere. Yeah. Even in the jungle. Well, I'm, I'm sure Aunt Peg, uh, serving the Lord in another country, literally in the jungle, is not easy. Was it difficult there to live in the jungle? It has challenges. I think the greatest challenge is watching people suffer from malnutrition and from the disease that's endemic in the area, for example, malaria. And I know that one year, and I had already been serving the Lord out there five years when this happened, we went for vacation Bible schools up the North Road. And instead of having vacation Bible school, we buried 25 of the 28 children in the mm. villages from whooping cough. And I went back to the mission and I literally threw myself on the floor across my bed. I mean, my knees on the floor. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I cannot bear this. What can we do? Wow. And he showed away, and I got opportunity to learn well baby clinics for three months. And I learned all the basics for that. And then I took the government test, so I was qualified. So then we started well baby clinics in our area. And by the time I left, they had well-qualified Zairean nurses doing that job. Very good. Wow. You saw a difference through the years. I, I remember when we were... Uh... In the car driving, that you mentioned how sometimes you'll be sleeping and it starts pouring rain and you find yourself in a puddle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, swimming, really, literally, trying to find anything dry left. We stuck our Sunday school teaching materials <laughs> up inside our jackets and huddled against them so that the materials would <laughs> stay dry. Wow. It was an adventure. That didn't seem really? like a hardship. Yeah. That was not the but hardship. It was watching the suffering. Yeah. The suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know I asked you when we were preparing for this episode, if at any point when it was very difficult that you doubted being there. At the, in another country. I have to say that I never doubted that the Lord had called me. I never doubted that I was where he would have me. Um, there were a few occasions when I thought, how can things go on like this? But always the Lord showed a solution. I, I don't know if I told you the story when we were being evacuated because of the government issues in 1991 the missionaries were told by their governments because we had several missionaries from Europe by then they were told by their governments that they had to leave and the U.S. government cannot order its citizens out of a country and the brethren in Congo said to me you just stay and you can flee to the forest with our wives and children so we had a missionary meeting of how I would handle all the work that we were doing and what was important and what we could delegate to the brothers who were being trained there for it. And that evening, one of the missionaries brought the box of keys for all the equipment and for the houses. And he literally 
threw it on my table and the keys went all over everywhere. And that made me wonder if I was wrong and that I was supposed to go with my coworkers and not stay. So I went in the bedroom and I prayed and I said to the Lord, Lord, I need a verse. I, I can't just go by feelings. I need a specific verse. Well, I was reading in Esther, so you can guess that I came to the verse that says, who knows but what you came to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mm, yeah. And it was about 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. Five the next morning, there's a rapid staccato knock on my front door, and there stood this missionary, and he said, I apologize. The Lord gave me a word last night that I have dealt wrongly. He said, he showed me a verse. Who knows but what you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So when the times are really rough and you honestly don't know, I have experienced over and over the Lord sends confirmation, two or even three indications or clear expressions of what he would have you do. The same or very similar, not at all the same, but similar experience when we were forced to evacuate in 96 with the civil war, when it was actually guns and firing and 28 soldiers in our yard with AK-47. The Lord mm. made it abundantly clear three different ways that we had to go. Uh, and Peg, I know you have lots of stories and uh, truly for me, I know they're encouraging to see how the Lord worked with another believer. And I know uh, lots of our audience are struggling and some of them are struggling financially or maybe difficult job or broken families. Um, when we were also together driving, you mentioned a couple stories too about financial support, how the Lord supported you. I'm glad you said a lot of your audience because those of you who are listening to us will probably not experience the same kind of things. Right. But we have the same Lord and that same Lord loves each one of us, and he will intervene in your circumstances for your needs, just as he did in mine. One story I remember that probably I told you, Peter, because it's one of my favorite memories. I, the very first year I was out there, we still had to use only Zairean currency. We didn't have shops nearby at all. And if, well, that isn't true, but there were small shops. They would have cans of small, small, two ounce cans of tomatoes paste. And they always had shoe polish because there was a lot you had to have shoes, but nobody could afford shoes. So if the government came to the storekeeper and said, where are your shoes? Well, sir, we don't sell shoes, but we have shoe polish. So you could always buy shoe polish. <laughs> So I didn't have money because the barns would go away six in every six weeks and we'd get the money we needed. I had one 10 Zaire note, which at that time was one $20 bill. And they went for a long weekend to Rethi where their children were going to missionary school. And there was a man who had worked in his garden and he had badly cut his thumb with his machete. And I was cleaning and debreeding that every single day. 
if this makes you a little bit queasy, ladies, plug your ears. One morning during the time the barns were away, as I was cleaning, I actually had his thumb bone in my other hand. It came off his hand because his hand was so gangrenous. And I was appalled and I was frightened out of my socks. And so I went in and I said to the Lord, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And the Lord said, well, give him your money and send him to Lolwa, which was the Open Brethren Hospital, about 80 kilometers, 50 miles away from us. So that's what I did. I took my money, I gave it to him, and I said, this will buy your medical treatment plan, and it will get you on a truck to go to Lolwa. You must go today. If you don't go today, you might even lose your hand. You can stop at your house to get a little bit to eat, but you must go to Lolwa today. So he went. And of course, I had not very much in the house to eat. And that night, at the door, and I go, and there stands a poor old widow lady that I was giving salt, soap, and oil to every week, every month. Well, every that's how she got her salt, soap, and oil is from me. She was destitute. She said to me, Capable, God told me to bring you your dinner, and here it is. It's the only time I didn't have dinner, and sure enough, the Lord provided. I felt like Elijah with the ravens. Mm, wonderful. I love the story. And first time here in this country, I was convinced that I needed to give a small gift to a new missionary. We were at a conference, and the Lord kept telling me, give him this money. It will encourage his heart. And I kept saying to the Lord, Lord, if I give him this money, it will put my bank balance below minimum and I will have a fine. And the Lord said to me, give him this money. So I got the money. I put it in my hand like a good Syrian. I shake hands with the young man missionary. He gets the money. And that night I get home and I put my hand in my jacket pocket. And there was a check for double the amount I had given to the young man. <laughs> I guess the Lord, if he's teaching you something, he's, he just encourages you along the way. That's true. I think each experience will make us know the Lord more. And not only his works, but his ways too. So um, I'm going to change the topic a little bit. What would you say... If someone feels that life would not be complete until they get married. May I answer with what Brother Eugene, I heard Brother Eugene say this. Sure. Then, if and when you get married, life won't be complete either. You have to learn to be content in the Lord, where you are, what you are, and allow Him to change your circumstances. And here again, I beg pardon if I'm misusing a verse, but I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you read that passage in Philippians 4, you will find it's in connection with being content in whatsoever state I am. So 
if you feel that way, and please know that I, I know what that feels like. I know what that means. We're human. We all have weaknesses. But the old song says, take it to the Lord in prayer. Tell the Lord your hurts. Tell the Lord your needs. Tell the Lord your desires. He knows them. He wants you to talk to him. So, and Peg, you, you were married late in life, right? Yes, I was almost 60 when I got married. Yeah, I told you, she has an adventurous life. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about your story, your marriage story. <laughs> marriage story is that I had an extremely rich, and I don't mean dollars, I mean experiences and love and joy of serving the Lord together extremely rich marriage it was well worth waiting 60 years to have it mm. almost everybody will know uncle naim and if you didn't know uncle naim he's now resting in jesus but if you didn't know him you missed a wonderful thing but when naim started to phone me because we had met at missions in focus and when he started to phone me I was very hesitant. I didn't know what the Lord wanted. When I went back to Congo the second time, I said to the Lord, right, I want to do what you want me to do. So I take my mind off marriage. I'm not, I'm very willing to stay single for my whole life. And I meant it. So when he started to call, when Naim started to call, I had to say, okay, Lord, <laughs> is this going to be different now? And the Lord showed me step by step that, yes, there was now a new and different plan. And I'll never regret that I followed the Lord and took the plunge. Wonderful. But so there, if you feel, I'll go back to question before, if you permit me, Peter. Of course. If you feel incomplete because you're not married, do not marry in haste. Because in God's eyes, marriage is for life the length of your life on earth. There are pitfalls in marriage. There's ups and downs in marriage. You have to learn the idiosyncrasies of your partner. You have to be loving and forgiving, and they have to be even more loving and forgiving, at least in my case, Uncle Naeem was. But it won't work well unless you marry the right person. And how will you know it's the right person if you don't wait on the Lord? Mm. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Uh, we're at almost the end of our time. And Peg, do you have any advice for our audience? One thing that you want to leave with them? Stay in the word. I think the word of God is the most precious thing we have. Mm. I realize we have to be able to pray. I realize we have the Lord. But how did we learn who the Lord was? How did we learn how to pray? How did we learn... All of that comes from what we know in the word and what we experience from having followed the word. So my advice is always to stay in the word, find a time that you can use privately, consistently, and then read the word consistently and study it. Avail yourself of teachers, avail yourself of books that explain things. But read the word. 
Well, thank you so much, Ampeg, for this wonderful discussion. Uh, thank, thank you for the your pieces of advice. God's still working every day. To all our listeners, uh, we hope that this discussion made you think, gave you some answers, and maybe piqued your interest so you can dig deeper into the Word of God. Ultimately, our, our goal is to start conversation, stimulate curiosity, and get excited about serving the Lord. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we uh, encourage you to uh, check out our website where are uh, lots of other podcasts and also articles that are there for your encouragement. And we hope for you to meet us again in, in the next episode. And thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Patterns of Truth podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode. And we also encourage you to check out patternsoftruth.org, where we post articles every week for the encouragement and growth of Christ followers. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to submit them on our website. I'm Peter. Until next time.